the teachings of the apostles, or the catechism of the early church. Join Pastor Hook in today's teaching of the Didache. We're going to move on. We're in the Didache today, and we've, we've gone through the way of life. We've gone through the way of death, uh, and now we're going to get into what I would call some of the catechesis part of the Didache. Because if you'll remember, the whole purpose of the Didache was to prepare catechumens for baptism, to understand what they're getting into uh, once they enter into the kingdom of God. And um, so we're going to talk in chapter 7 about some of the catechesis of the early church. And the catechesis of the early church in chapter 7 is about baptism. Now, baptism, fascinating topic, absolutely fascinating topic. And I don't know how much I'll get into it, but let's just go ahead If you remember, this is what the early church taught. This is between 50 to 80 AD, so it's very, very, very early. Uh, It's kind of what the church believed about baptism. And so we're just going to look into this a little bit, and uh, and we'll go from there. So uh, I believe this is the button I want to press. Let's go to Didache chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Concerning baptism, baptize thus. Having first rehearsed all these things, baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in running water. But if thou hast no running water, baptize in other water. And if thou canst not in cold, then in warm. But if thou hast neither, pour water three times on the head in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And before the baptism, let the baptizer and him who is to be baptized fast, and any others who are able, and thou shalt bid him who is baptized to fast for one or two days before. Okay, so there's a lot of stuff here that is just absolutely wonderful. Um, The first thing is that um, the regular mode of baptism is in running water. In some versions of this, I've seen it say living water. Um, And living water basically means the water that's trickling, like a stream, like the Jordan River. If you'll remember, that's where, ba- where, that's where Jesus was baptized, in the Jordan River, by John, uh, John the, uh, the prophet John, John the baptizer. And, uh, and so John, Jesus went to John, and John baptized him. Now, I doubt that John baptized him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, but, um, but Jesus was there, and there was a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, uh, and the dove, the Spirit of God descended like a dove. So the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all there at the baptism. Okay. Um, so the baptism of John was for forgiveness of sins. The baptism of Jesus, Jesus didn't need to have forgiveness of sins because he was perfect. So why would Jesus be baptized? Well, as an example to us, to be, ba- to, to be baptized um, maybe there is an element of forgiveness of sins. I mean, there's there certainly many, many, many places in Scripture that talk about uh, the link between forgiveness of sins and baptism. So there is that. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, Constantine waited till the end of his life before he was baptized because the early church felt so strongly that baptism wiped away all sins up to the point of baptism that he wanted to be able to wait till the end of his life and then have all those sins taken away. So Constantine 
uh, baptized at the end of his life so that because he believes so strongly about the link between baptism and forgiveness of sins. The, uh, now, that's not in here. There is nothing in the Didache that talks about baptism as a forgiveness of sins. It just talks about how to baptize. Uh, those are different scriptures that talk about how baptize, bab- the link between baptism and forgiveness of sins. So, and I look at baptism as three parts. One is that, uh, and we've talked about this before, but there's the gospel exists kind of in three forms. That in the gospel, you enter into the kingdom of God. Well, that's, that's something that gives you a status. That's something that gives you honor. Uh, that you're no longer you know, living in the basement of the castle, but the, you've been adopted as a son or a daughter, and now you're living in, as a son or a daughter in the castle of the king. And, that, and to do that is baptism. But that the, there's also, uh, if you feel guilty uh, in your life because you've done things that are wrong, baptism, uh, obviously, you're now in, in the, you're now in the castle of the king, and the king wipes away because of his son, wipes away all your sins. And so uh, when you're in the presence of the king, he, when you're, you know, when you're the king, you write the rules on what's right or wrong. Well, so uh, I could get into that, but basically because you're in the, you're in the kingdom, then your sins, by, your, by the status of you being in the kingdom, your sins are wiped away. So there is an element of forgiveness of sins uh, in baptism. So there's, there's honor as opposed to shame. There's forgiveness uh, from your guilt or, or you know, innocence and guilt. Uh, and then, of course, you have the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in your life. The Jesus fought the war, but the Holy Spirit comes and helps you fight all, all the battles of life. So also being in the kingdom means that you have power in your life. So all three of those things, that you have power, that you have innocence, uh, and that you have honor, all of those things happen in baptism. It is a, it is a comprehensive new status. It's a new creation in baptism. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. You are in the kingdom of God. So, um, now that, so, um, I'll just get into the, no, I won't get into this, but I will, because it's just really tiny. So it, it, so let the baptizer and the one is to be baptized fast. I, in, in, the, in the Didache, there's also, uh, there's also a section on fasting. So we're not going to really talk about that. But that, that definitely the early church fasted a lot. Um, and there is, uh, there is spiritual benefit in fasting. Uh, there's also medical benefit in fasting. If you've ever typed into the internet, uh, should I fast, you will get a whole new world opened up to you about the benefits of fasting on a medical level. And I'm not going to get into that because I'll let you do that yourself. It's not really the purpose of the Didache to talk about the medical benefits of fasting. But I started fasting, oh, a number of years ago because, um, well, I'll tell you why. I, uh, as you know, uh, a number of years ago, I started doing morning walks into Sienega Creek just to spend time with God. And I found that to be spiritually life-changing in my life. Um, 
And so I was wondering, are there other spiritual things that I'm missing out in my life? <laughs> like that I, I didn't know about, like, like, what are they? Uh, that, I mean, because, because, uh, spending time with God in the morning, uh, you know, in a morning walk is, has, is spiritually transforming. If you've, if you've ever done it, you know that it's spiritually transforming. Um, if you, if you get into the point where you're reading scripture every morning or have a daily devotion or daily time in prayer, I mean, all of these things are very, very spiritually wonderful, and I highly recommend them. But the one that had kind of eluded me was just spending time with God in the morning, not necessarily in prayer, although I do spend time in prayer with him, um, but just spending, being in his presence in the morning uh, and being in his creation in the morning. Um, so... I was looking at spiritual disciplines and one of them was fasting. And I'm like, huh, I, I know that the early church fasted. I know that uh, even at the time of the Reformation, Luther fasted because he was a monk and monks fast all the time. So I started looking into fasting and, uh, you know, I did a one day fast, a three day fast, a five day fast, you know, and every once in a while I'll do a three day fast. Um, and um, so there is, there is a benefit in fasting, and there's a spiritual benefit in fasting. And for me, well, and I'm not going to talk about that right now because we'll get into that. So, but before you baptize, let the baptizer and the one who is to be baptized fast, and anybody else who is able to fast. Um, and if you look at the history of the United States, there's a lot of fasting. Okay, so that's that. But... The other thing that's a part of this is you baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Why would you do that? Because at the end of Matthew chapter 27, Jesus said, or 28, Jesus says, Go you therefore and make disciples of all nations. How? By baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. So this, we baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit because Jesus commanded baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So it is as clear as day, as clear as can be, not only in the Didache, but also in the last chapter of Matthew, that we are to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So there are no other requirements um, from Jesus, right, except to baptize in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. That, if you look in Scripture, that is the only requirement. It is not a big requirement. So any baptism that happens that is in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that is a valid baptism. Now, the question is, well, should we do it like Jesus did? Should we go find a river and should we baptize in a river? And I would say absolutely. If you live by a river... Uh, like if you live by the River Jordan, I would be baptized in the River Jordan. There's absolutely, I would even mind even, t if, I, if I'd have known, like today, if I, if, I just, if I became a Christian, let's say at age 50, and I had the wherewithal to go get baptized in the Jordan River, I would I think that'd be kind of cool. Um, if you have a river nearby, that's kind of cool. But a lot of people, you know, particularly in the early church, they didn't have the ability to be baptized by a river. Like, Think if you live in an area where there's not a river close by at all um, and you wish to be baptized, how in the world are you going to be baptized a river, in a river if there's not a river close by? 
like what if your only source of water is a well? Um, like how do you do that? Well, it's it, the early church struggled with that question, and this is how they came up with it. They said, baptize in living water or running water, or basically a river, right? But if you don't have a river, baptize in other water. And if it can't be cold, then warm. Because sometimes water is cold, but sometimes it's warm, right? Um, basically, it's like whatever water you can find, do that. And if you can't find any other way to baptize, then pour the water on the head three times in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a valid baptism. So this is what the early church taught about baptism, was that it wasn't necessarily the style of the water. Um, it wasn't necessarily the temperature of the water. Uh, it didn't have to be in a river, uh, although they recommended it be in a river. Uh, it was basically just the words. And this is what Luther said. He said, it's not necessarily the water itself. It's not that the water is holy, but it's the word of God in presence with the water that makes the baptism uh, he didn't say this, but the word is efficacious, but that's probably not a word, effective, uh, that it makes it a, a baptism, you know, that you're in the kingdom. It is all about, it is all about the word of God. It's, it's the words that come out of the person that is baptizing. It's that person that, that does it, that, you know, saying the words of God, I baptize, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, notice what else is not on here. It does not have to be done by a priest. Now, we could get into this, but there, there was no priesthood in the early church. Um, there was a priesthood in the Jewish faith. They had a whole priestly class and all that sort of thing. But Jesus kind of said, we are all uh, saints. We're all priests. We're, when you enter into the kingdom of God, you get all rights and privileges. So in the Protestant tradition, tradition me, as a pastor, I have been elected or selected or called by the congregation that I lead to do those priestly duties. And so typically baptism falls on my shoulders. But in the early church, anybody in the kingdom could have done the baptism. Now, probably um, out of honor, uh, it might have been done by any, you know, it might have been done by the highest ranking person in the congregation just as, as an honor thing. But but, but Christianity is very egalitarian. There, I, there is no, you, uh, if you are a baptized child of God, you have no more rights or privileges in the kingdom than I do. I have no more standing. I am just as much of a saint and sinner as you are in the, in the kingdom of God. We are, we are equals in the kingdom of God. Now, I might be called to a congregation to hold the office of public ministry, which means that I... I lead the congregation. I do a lot of the, the sacred acts of the congregation. But I am, I am no more holy or righteous or blessed by, you know, than anybody else. As a matter of fact, if you look at some of the scripture, I have a lot more, you know, requirements in my life uh, because, uh, well, we won't get into that. Basically, uh, and this is what they drill into you in seminary. This is how they keep the guys, you know, on the straight and narrow. If, if you as a person cause another person to sin because of your leading a congregation, then you could, you know, have God's wrath on you at a higher level. Um, that's one of the things they teach you in seminary. It's always just chilling. Um, it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe this call is, <laughs> is not that great. <laughs> uh, 
anyway, so, um, but we are, we are all equal. So, so baptism can happen by anybody. Uh, anybody in the faith can lead the baptism. Historically, it's been the highest ranking person. Another thing that happened historically is the church would baptize and then you'd have a bishop. If there wasn't a bishop nearby, sometimes he would come into, into um, an area and he then might look at the records and confirm that somebody was baptized, right? So there was, there was this whole idea um, of a confirmation early, early on. It was a confirmation of the baptism. Yeah, you, you baptize the name of the Father. You know, the records are all correct. You know, the bishop might oversee all that to make sure it was all done properly. And he would confirm the baptism, which now has turned into a whole different thing in Protestant world, uh, in the historic Protestant world. All right, so... That's the only thing. So the, the one question that may come up, it periodically does come up all the time, was, all right, I understand the baptism, all that's necessary is some water and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's it. What about infants? Should we baptize infants? Now that is a fascinating question because there's nothing in the Didache that talks about baptizing infants. As a matter of fact, it says fast if you can. Well, fasting is a spiritual discipline, which is typically more for adult people. Um, if you look at Acts, the book of Acts, there's a number of baptisms at the book of Acts. All of those are adult people. Uh, so uh, the only thing that is that, that you could even look at in the book of Acts is when they baptized... For example, and you can see this, uh, it was. It, there are many places in the book of Acts where they say this person and their whole entire family were baptized. Lydia and his, her family were baptized. Um, the, and that word oikos, which means your household, typically means uh, the spouses, the children, anybody living in that household was is considered to be part of that household. So if you are the, the leader, if you're the head of the household, and remember in, in Jewish culture, the head of the household was typically the male and he would go to the synagogue and he would meet with other males and they would discuss theology and philosophy and what does God want us to do? And then he would go back home and then as the head of the household, then he would teach his household the faith. So he was the head, it was called the head of the household. Uh, and it's an extremely efficient way to carry on the faith because instead of the whole household going to the synagogue, um, basically it was the head of the household that would go to the synagogue, meet with other heads of household. They would discuss the faith. You kind of, it's like a little church, right? And then they would go home and you'd be like your own little congregation or church. And then the head of the household would teach the family. That's how the Jewish faith worked. Now translate that into Christianity, um, and now you have uh, this thing called a head of a household, right? In Roman culture, you had a head of a household. In Jewish culture, you had a head of a household. I mean, basically, there was just one person who was like the head of the household. Uh, and then um, that person, if he became or a Christian, but follower of Jesus Christ, then he would, as head of the household, say, okay, the whole household is now Christian. And they would baptize everybody in the household. Did that include infants? 
And the answer is, I'm not entirely sure because uh, scripture is not very clear on it. All it says is um, that it was um, a person and the household that was baptized. So that could include young children. It could include extremely young children. It could even include infants. Now, we know that by the time of the 1500s, uh, that infants were baptized. We know that actually as early as 300 AT, infants were baptized. But somewhere between uh, what happened, like at the time of the Didache until 300 AD, like how did that happen? And um, there's a book. Uh, it's really fascinating. I have version. I have uh, volume two. It's called Early Christians Speak. And uh, this is volume two. There's another volume I have, volume one. I, I don't have it right here. Um, and basically he takes a topic and then he re he goes back and he finds what did every early Christian author, like the early fathers, like the the early early the patristic fathers, right? The the from 50 A.D. to 300 A.D. That those people, like what did they say about a certain topic? And uh, like this one is angels. Like what did they say about angels? Um, what did they say about demons? Exorcism. Um, what did they say about uh, the canon of the New Testament? Uh, what did they say about um, the doctrine of Scripture? And so, so here's the doctrine of Scripture, and we have early church father, we have Diognetus, we have uh, Tertullian, Hippolytus, Polycarp, Clement of Alexandria, Irenaeus, Tertullian, Theophilus, Justin, and the Didache, the Didache is actually in here. So um, about scripture. So this is, um, this is what did the early church, so he actually gives you all the writings of anything he could find on it. And then he has a discussion about how, you know, like if you pull all these writings together, what does it say? So in baptism, what he basically says is that it's unclear in the early church you know, nobody, it, they were, uh, some people were pro-infant baptism. Some people were against infant baptism. Um, you know, this is the period of time between 50 AD and 300 AD. But that by about 300 AD, it is, is absolutely clear that, that the church baptized infants. Um, and it, it, it was, um, it's basically if, if, um, if you get all the rights and privileges of the kingdom through baptism, then what happens if a child dies before their baptism? And, um, and by, by 300 AD, they were baptizing children because they wanted them to be in the kingdom. It was kind of, he calls it in here, Everett Ferguson, a, a, a preemptive, you know, preemptive baptism. And it's basically to, to try to, like if you did lose the child, that you could have the confidence that the child would be in the kingdom, uh, because if you're doing pastoral ministry to a family and they've just lost their king, you know, their child, um, obviously it is of great comfort to say, yeah, that child was baptized and in the kingdom, um, and there's nothing forbidden in scripture by it, and and by by early church, you know, but pretty much by 300 A.D., that was the practice of the church. It's just. It was it was a it was a debate in the church from 50 A.D. to 300 A.D. Um, so here in the Didache, uh, it says baptize. Just the only thing is it doesn't give an age restriction. Um, 
It doesn't give any restrictions except for baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, we have, in our Protestant tradition, we baptize children. And uh, it's not forbidden here in the Didache. It's not forbidden in Scripture. Uh, it, there is no commandment that says you shall not baptize children. All it says is to enter into the kingdom, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we, as, as uh, historic Protestants, do baptize children. Um, but if you remember the command of God, it's go make disciples. How do you make disciples? By baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. So the second part is that there is a teaching component that occurs after baptism. And that teaching component um, is typically done by the parents. It is the responsibility of the parents to teach the child the Christian faith. And if the parent dies, then it is a responsibility of someone else that they've appointed. In, in our tradition, we have godparents or sponsors or whatever to teach the Christian faith. Now, I have struggled with this my whole life because I was baptized in seventh grade. It was very special to me. Uh, I was baptized completely immersed uh, in my backyard, in my pool, in my swimming pool, by a Lutheran pastor uh, who immersed me three times. I baptized you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It was very, very, very special to me. And um, I felt the presence of God. That's all I can say. I mean, it was, it was something just very uh, special. That's all I can say. Uh, there were a lot of people around, um, and uh, it was kind of a big deal. Both my sister and I were baptized on the same day. Um, did I know what I was getting into? No. That's the weird thing, is that I didn't really know, uh, you know, I didn't know what I was getting into. So, but I, I knew that I was entering into the kingdom. Um, and it, was, it took a while. As a matter of fact, uh, after I was baptized, then I took a, a two-year course in, in Lutheran theology. And then at the end of that two-year course, I, was, uh, I was, went through this process that we call confirmation. Um, which in, if you baptize infants, then typically you end you know, at, the, at the, you know, about the age of 14 or 15 at the end of eighth grade uh, is when you go through confirmation, which is a reaffirmation of your baptism. Like, yes, I was baptized and brought into the kingdom, but I also now confess that I am a child of God and that I want to live in the kingdom. So um, it, is, it is, a, I think, a pretty decent system. Um, it falls apart if, A, parents don't teach their children the faith. That, it could fall apart. B, the parents die and, and there is nobody, you know, wherever, nobody picks up the, you know, the mantle of leadership and teaches the children the faith. But I do think we, uh, and I'll leave, leave with this. In our family, we baptized all our children as infants. And then we taught them the faith, uh, very much so. I mean, obviously, I'm a, I'm a Lutheran pastor. But even before I was a Lutheran pastor, we were very, very intentional in teaching the faith to our children. Um, who is God? Uh, you know, the whole, all the scripture, all the Bible stories, teaching how to pray, uh, teach, you know, all of that stuff. We were very, very intentional about doing that. And it was helpful for me 
that as our children would go out one day, we could tell them, remember your baptism. And we did this a lot to our children uh, and to our children's friends. Like when they came over and they're going out to a party, we'd yell out the door, okay, remember your baptism. Um, and to me, that was, remember that you're a child of God. Remember that you represent Jesus wherever you go. That the actions that you do do not only reflect upon you, but reflect upon the whole Christian church. That you are a child of God. That he loves you, he cares about you, um, and he, he wants you. You know, one of the things about being baptized, I don't know if we really spent a lot of time on this, but one of the things about being baptized is that you are now, you now have a physical covenant over you. You have a physical mantle over you that you're now in the kingdom. You're now a representative of the king, which means that if there's something the king wants of you, you're now responsible to the rest of the kingdom to try to live up to whatever that is. If you are not baptized, if you are not baptized, then you are not responsible to the king. So we, uh, we as the hands and feet of God are not to hold people who are not in the kingdom to the, to the standard of being in the kingdom because they're not in the kingdom. We have no right to tell them how to live their life, right? Um, if there's a pagan out there, you can't go, hey, by the way, you shouldn't do X, Y, or Z because the Bible says you shouldn't do that. Well, they're pagans. They're not going to live by the Bible's terms. Um, but you can go up to them and say, hey, listen, I love you, and uh, I'm a representative of the king, and I'm just, I'm just going to be his hands and feet, and I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to love you because Jesus told me to love my neighbor. You can do that. Now, if a person's baptized, now you can go up to them and say, hey, you're a baptized child of God. Uh, X, Y, scripture says X, Y, and Z. Are you living up to this? Here, let's have a conversation about it. I mean, that's the beauty of baptism is it identifies who is now in the kingdom that you can have a conversation with about growing in the faith and what pleases God and all those sorts of things. You can't do it with an unbaptized person, but you can do it with a baptized person. I've often thought that maybe, just maybe, that's why Constantine didn't want to be baptized because he didn't want the church telling him what to do. <laughs> Because once you are baptized, and I don't mean the church like a formal church. I mean the rest of the people who, are, who make up the church, the called out ones, the church of God, that we have to live together and figure out how to please God and move together as a church. Um, that you are at some level responsible to the church to do that. Anyway, so that is, so I highly recommend infant baptism. Um, you know, I, my Protestant tradition will tell you that it's in Scripture. There is no there is no verse in Scripture that says baptize infants, and there's no verse in Scripture that says don't baptize infants. If you look in the book of Acts, the oikos allows for infant baptism, but most of the baptisms in the book of Acts are adults. Um, I don't think it's wrong to be baptized as an infant. This is just me, you know this is what I believe. But if you baptize as an infant, you're not done yet. There's also a component of faith development. And at some point, that child needs to understand that they're in the kingdom and make a profession of faith, that, that they understand what baptism is and what the faith is. They've gone through the catechesis, and yes, they stand boldly for Christ. I believe that's a part of baptism too. All right, so um, this has gone long, and I apologize for that. But uh, I'm so grateful that you joined me today. And uh, tomorrow, I think we're going to finish baptism. Let me just look ahead here. Uh, oh, 
fasting and prayer tomorrow. So that will be fun. That will be interesting. So uh, thanks for joining me. Let's close in prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for the blessings of today. Uh, we pray that you be with our nation as we continue to count votes. But Lord, no matter what happens today or over the next few days, we know that you still love us and you still care for us and that we're in your kingdom, which is a far better kingdom than any kingdom in this world. And for that, we thank and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.